We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by the Bear Report, your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal, recording this episode on Wednesday, September 27th after, oh boy, what, what a week it was for the Chicago Bears, and it all, it all culminated in an absolute disaster of a performance on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you had... Basically, half the game was devoted to Taylor Swift. Uh, just shots of Taylor Swift in the in the press box cheering on Travis Kelsey. Um, so that was that was fun. Uh, the Chiefs blowing up the Bears in the process, forty-one to ten. Just not a lot of positives from this one. You said um, as we get get into this thing here. But with that said, it's a new day. And speaking of that, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. It's interesting because I was talking to a colleague at my day job today and, you know, one of the things that this specific colleague had mentioned was the fact that he thought of me when I guess he was watching the Bears game simply because they kept talking about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey so much to the point where it was like it's actually good for the Bears because there is a kind of distraction that's created compared to you know the broadcast booth and just kind of what else they probably would have discussed which again would have been the state of the Bears offense and a little side note here but I am honestly not even surprised that a lot of former NFL quarterbacks you know guys that were veterans and backups in this league for a long time you know some of them even played for the Bears franchise you've got Jay Cutler, Matt Ryan, Kyle Sloter, I believe, Chase Daniels in there, all coming out within the last basically 48 to 72 hours and saying, yeah, you know, the quarterback is at fault, but the entire scheme and the entire system is just an absolute dumpster fire. So it's hard to hold it over the quarterback's head at the, or solely the quarterback's head at this point. 
yeah it's it's all bad right now like the the, the scheme like you said like you, you can go back to many of those plays against Kansas City and like Justin Fields has been rough to put it kindly this year but it, it is tough to see on a lot of these plays there's just like there's nothing for him to do on some of these there's nobody open they're not really scheming anything up for for him to get easy throws out there and it creates a situation where it's just there, there's just there's no winning with this offense right now. It's it's all just awful, just awful, awful stuff. And we can talk all day about the development of Justin Fields and how things have kind of been botched um, with this new coaching staff. And I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely some merit to that. This coaching staff clearly isn't doing um, what it needs to do to maximize really the talent on this roster, but Justin Fields in general, not maximizing him. And, and he's got to hold up his end of the bargain as well. And there are receivers that are open. You got to hit those receivers, right? And so that's just one of those things where it's it, it creates a scenario where nothing is working on that side of the ball. And really, nothing is working on either side of the ball because as much as the offense was bad on Sunday, the defense was worse. Like it, It's incredible that we have – we're in year two of this regime you have a defensive-minded head coach here who had some success in Indianapolis coaching some defenses over there. They, they've spent a ton of resources on this defense, and for them to put up that performance, like I did not expect them to do well against the Kansas City Chiefs offense, but for it to look so easy for the Chiefs um, when they've had some struggles to start this season, it is beyond frustrating to see zero progress on that side of the ball as well. So I have not gone back and watched the full all 22. Okay. It's just something which again, you know, I really have not had the time to do, but there is a few noteworthy observations that have to be made. Okay. Number one, you have a, again, you have a front office and you have a coaching staff that handed out, you know, $18 million a year, I believe was the rough number to, Tremaine Edmonds, right? A much bigger linebacker, an off-ball guy that could play the mic position because the coaching staff believed he was a better fit. And again, some of that is true simply because they did have Tremaine. Tremaine Edmonds did play in a 4-3 system in Buffalo. So there was naturally going to be some carryover. Whereas again, you look at Roquan Smith, who's just solely been a 3-4 guy his whole life. But the point is not... Roquan versus Tremaine Edmonds. Like, we're well past the convo of Roquan versus Tremaine Edmonds. But the bigger question now comes into what the hell are their Bears doing with these linebackers, okay? Because you went out and you signed Tremaine Edmonds, believing, again, he could be the anchor in the middle of your defense, this kind of Tampa 2 that they're running. And guess what? Quite frankly, there's been some horrible stuff it's hard to sit here and say yeah there's been some good and some bad because you're not utilizing him properly and that's affecting the play of jack sanborn along with tj edwards you're willing your mic backers now when i look at this i say this the struggles on this defense start up front okay and they start up front with the front four not because there's no pass rush. Like, yes, we know that that's an issue, but the three tech position that's so important to this scheme and to this coaching staff, they don't have that three technique, okay, that you can justifiably say is going to be a game changer that is going to eat up some of these gaps. That's going to allow the 
linebackers to kind of flow and really do what they want, right? Which in turn is going to make life easier on the secondary. And so the reality of it all, all is incredibly simple is they go back and watch Matt Eberflus's defenses in 18 and 19 when he was in Indianapolis. Those were good defenses, but those defenses really took off in 20 and 21 when they finally traded and got that all pro defensive tackle in the middle of the defense into Forrest Buckner, right? That big three tech who was going to be this disruptor, who was going to allow the linebackers and the guys in the secondary to just do what they wanted. So, when we talk about why this defense is such a mess, they can't slow anybody down, you know. Yes, I understand the injury bug is at the secondary, but it's just like, listen, injuries at the end of the day are not an excuse at all for you to go out and play bad. I mean, hell, we've seen in this town alone, we've seen Vic Fangio make undrafted free agents, or we saw Vic Fangio make undrafted free agents look serviceable. So why can't this unit, why can't this, I'm sorry, coaching staff do it, right? And the answer is simple. It's because you're trying to run a system for which you don't have the horses to completely run the system and you're putting players out of position that quite frankly have no business, you know, even being starters. Like I, Demarcus Walker is a perfect example, right? He signs a three-year, $21 million deal in free agency. He can play both inside and outside, but they've solely kept him at defensive end because the coaching staff is so damn concerned with creating this rotation with guys like Justin Jones, Javon Dexter, Zach Pickens. And yes, we want the young guys to get reps, but you also have to look at where your strengths lie, especially in the three most important positions in your defense. And quite frankly, like, they have the talent at Mike. They've got the talent at Trunk Safety. But that three tech, that lack of three tech and the inability to use people properly there is just blowing up and killing this entire operation. Yeah. And to continue on that point, it's like with Eberflus' defense in Indianapolis, they were never great defenses at generating pressure anyway. Like even with Buckner, like they were always in the bottom third of the NFL in pressure rate. Um, according to uh, PFF. So it wasn't like they had some great pass rushes um, in Indianapolis with Eberflus, but I mean, what they were able to do is that they were able to maximize guys in the secondary. They had, you know, um, uh, Darius Leonard at line, the linebacker to be able to create turnovers and, um, you know, play a brand of football that was very unique um, compared to, you know, the rest of the, uh, the NFL in terms of creating turnovers and getting timely stops like that. Um, and just in general, the you saw a general through line of development in those young players in Indianapolis that we're not seeing here for some reason in Chicago. Now, is some of that maybe a talent evaluation um, issue with Ryan Poles? That certainly could be the case. Like you look at all the draft picks that they've spent on this defense, you know, bringing in Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker, as two second round picks for this defense in uh, 2022. And then in this past draft, you get three second round picks, well, three day two picks, I should say, for this defense in this year's draft with uh, Dexter and Tyreek Stevenson and Zach Pickens. And you're not really, none of these guys that they brought in in those day two areas have really been impactful players. Like maybe Kyler Gordy, when he gets back healthy, can be that guy that can be, that can make an impact. But so far, he hasn't really been that guy. Tariq Stevenson, has he flashed a little bit? 
Yes, but he's also going through the typical struggles that you see from rookie cornerbacks where they are going to get beat against the top guys in the NFL pretty consistently, even if they are, you know, talented guys that have promising careers. Dexter has shown some flashes as a run defender, but he's really much of a pass rusher right now, right? Uh, Zach Pickens has done absolutely nothing out there, like when he does play. Um, he just he, he's looked about what you'd expect from a project defensive tackle who's going to be 24 years old at some point later on this season. So it's not like they haven't invested in this defense. They have invested in the defense. It's just they haven't really gotten the talent correct at a lot of these spots. But also it's, it's, it is a issue of usage, right? You, you bring up DeMarcus Walker. Like they bring him in from Tennessee. And here's the thing. DeMarcus Walker, he was already a replacement level, um, you know, rotational guy anyway. Now he's being forced to be a starter for you. Same with Justin Jones as well, as well as uh, Andrew Billings, who – Andrew Billings, he does have more of a track record as a starter in this league, but like Demarcus Walker and Justin Jones definitely are not guys that are starting caliber players in the NFL, and they are expected to be, you know, two of your top snap guys um, on this defensive line. And you're getting not a ton of production, especially from Justin Jones, who's really offering nothing out there for you, who they signed last offseason after the whole Larry Ogunjobi debacle. Um, which again, that's another example of this front office is there. Rogan Joby, it's not like he was a special talent that they were targeting to play that three tech anyway, as, as well. So that's another issue of talent evaluation for um, this scheme that they're trying to run here, right? But Demarcus Walker, getting back to that point, like they've been using him a lot as more of an edge rusher than interior guy. You look at him play, you know, both spots, like it's not even close. He has way more juice as an interior pass rusher than he does as an edge rusher. So why are we asking him to play edge rusher all the time? And the answer is pretty simple. You have nobody else besides Yannick Ngakwe who can rush off the edge right now. So yeah, I mean, free, free agency evaluation is also an issue with this team that isn't really great. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You bring up talent evaluation and specifically the D-line. I mean, the Bears are horrible at it under this regime. And and here's why. It's because they have this, they've established this norm of we're going to go out and we're going to hand out these big contracts to these guys who may have really only had one kind of solid year of production. Like, listen, if you go back and you look at Larry Ogunjobi's numbers, right? I'm not saying Larry was ever this kind of player who was a game changer. I mean, he never has really lived up to his draft expectations, but you look at him, right? And it's just like, 
again, he was in Cleveland for about four years. And over there, he was just kind of this like above average, you know, rotational guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, he has one really good year in Cincinnati where he kind of pops off, has, you know, seven sacks, about 50 tackles, 16 quarterback hits, right? Kind of setting career highs for the most part and starts all 16 games. And then the Bears hand him a big contract in the same offseason, just two months after he has this massive offseason surgery, which kind of – ended his hopes of even playing in the Super Bowl for the Bengals. Anyways, the reason I bring that up is because it's ultimately just like it's at a point where, you know, they go out, they find these veterans, especially on the defensive line, and they hand out these big contracts, right? I was never a fan of the Demarcus Walker contract to begin with. Like, you're looking at, you know, three years, $21 million, and I'm like, look, that's kind of an overpay, and a lot of, you know, fans on Twitter at the time were like, oh, no, this is phenomenal. You know, we have a guy who had, like, whatever, seven or eight sacks last year. And I'm like, yeah, the numbers look good on paper, but a lot of these guys were, quite frankly, the product, and their production was the product of the talent that was legitimately around them, which is why, you know, mediocre teams and mediocre front offices will overpay for above average players. And that's exactly what Eberflus and polls have done with this defensive line. It's like Justin Jones, you know, you sign him in 2022 to a two year, $12 million deal. Like this is a guy whose price tag. And I like Justin. I love interacting with Justin Jones in the locker room, by the way, post game. But this is a guy who will get right. His production does not match up to his price tag by any means. And it's like the Bears are paying too much to get so little out of the defensive line. Well, it's like they're role players, right? They're they're all role players for their respective teams. They were guys that weren't expected to be large contributors for those guys. So when you bring them in and now you're elevating them to uh, expanded roles where they have to be you know, impactful starters for you. It's it's a different ball game where, you know, if you're Demarcus Walker in Tennessee, you get to play off of the Jeffrey Simmons, who's one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL, and Danico Autry, and you're in a Mike Vrabel system where they use a lot of stunts and blitzes and creative ways to get their pass rushers, um, you know, after the quarterback. That's where that's not necessarily happening here. Happening here in Chicago. Um, it's, it's a different ball game for guys like Justin Jones who played in the chargers before he came here and you're playing next to Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. And, you know, again, a bunch of other guys that can get to the quarterback in a variety of different ways that take a lot of pressures off of you. Now all the pressure is on you to have to be that difference maker. And it's a lot different when you're in that situation there, but even beyond the defensive line, which we know it was going to be a joke going into the season anyway, given, um, what they've invested into that unit, but really, you look at Eberflus and Poles and what they've done is the secondary, the back seven has been a, a position where they've invested, really this defense has been invested in uh, back to front and built back to front as compared to front to back, so to speak. So they've wanted to establish, remember that first year, they you know, they got the two draft picks in the secondary um, and making it clear that they were trying to you know add talent to the secondary first before they built out the rest of the defensive line. Um, and look, that's not a unique strategy. A lot of other NFL teams are doing that where they, you know, emphasize the secondary first, and then they build up the trenches and the, on the defensive line, um, as kind of the finishing piece. Um, so it's kind of a philosophical thing, 
But for this type of defense where you're not blitzing a lot and you're relying on rushing with four, like I think it, you should have had the opposite approach. You should have gone all in on, on building up that defensive line um, and getting more of a pass rush and getting guys that can, you know, control the line of scrimmage a little bit and make things easier for your secondary. Cause look, to be quite frankly, yeah, you've invested a lot at linebacker and at corner and at safety under this regime, but it's not like those guys are playing well right now either. Right. Like Jaquan Brisker, he's out there. Like the only thing good that Jaquan Brisker is doing in the football right now on the football field right now is talking trash and getting hurt. Like that's the only two things that I can notice Brisker doing out there on the football field. Otherwise he's getting beaten coverage. You know, he's just not a consistent cover guy at the moment. Uh, very inconsistent in his run defense uh, with his angles and all that stuff as the last line of de- on, the, on the defense. Um, Eddie Jackson's, you know, down with an injury. Kyler Gordon's down with an injury. And then on the outside, you got these two physical, big, tough corners in Jalen Johnson and Tyree Stevenson. And instead of having them play, you know, in tight press coverage where they can man up on these receivers and beat them up with the line of scrimmage a little bit, use their length, use their size, use their physicality. Instead, you're having them play off zone all the time or cover two zone all the time um, where they're playing grass instead of playing the man. And that's just a complete misuse of their skill set. And the same thing goes for the linebackers as well. Like why are you having certain situation where TJ Edwards is matched up against running backs when he's not a very athletic dude at the linebacker position, he can't really match up against these guys and he's getting, you know, he's, he's burnt toast out there against the Aaron Jones of the world and the Jarek McKinnons of the world and all that stuff. And then Tremaine Edmonds, you got this big freaky athletic linebacker here and instead of having him being a matchup uh problem and against like tight ends like travis kelsey where he can man up against these guys or play a a little bit more physical against these guys instead again he's playing grass out there he's not being he's not covering anybody he's just guarding an area and look offenses are too smart now um to go up against a tampa two defense and not know how to expose these defense like this defense the style of defense where it's spot drop zones and in Tampa two and all this, you know, rah, rah, you know, lovey Smith style of defense that, you know, the bears are trying to recapture with this regime. Like all that stuff is outdated. It's been outdated for like a decade. Now offenses know how to abuse this style of defense and offenses are way too good now where they're not going to fall into the traps that offenses in, you know, 20 years ago used to fall into when facing a Tampa two style of defense. They're just too talented, too good, and too smart nowadays. So you can't do that in today's. You got to mix things up a little more. You got to be more aggressive. You got to be more creative with the way that you get, you use these guys um, in the secondary and in, in your pass rush. And look, I, I just, man, the, the, the higher when, when Matt Eberflus was hired originally, it always felt like they were trying to recapture nostalgia of the Levy Smith era to me. Uh, when you talk about Matt Eberflus with his hits philosophy and being a Tampa two guy uh, and all that stuff. And you're seeing why you can't really be doing that and making decisions like that. Um, in, in today's NFL, you have to be making decisions with a modern lens, with a forward thinking mindset. Um, and that forward thinking mindset needs to be on the other side of the football field where your offense is suffering because you did not hire an offensive minded coach last off season, And now you're paying the consequences for that. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, it's like at some point you talk about paying the consequences. I mean, it's getting to a point where, you know, the Bears are so bad as a team. You know, you have no end in sight and the only possible solution is even hey let's go ahead and let's just reboot and restart this thing you know after a second year right Uh, going into 2024 like that's it we're done here and at some point that is a legitimate conversation that the people at Hallis Hall need to have why because you have a president that was not around when Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles were hired you have a chairman who Again, you know, when I've been at Hallis Hall, I've interacted with George McCaskey, but it's no disrespect to him, but this guy's not fit to run a damn franchise and make football decisions, right? And then, you know, the greater stepping stone here is this, is you still have Justin Fields under contract through the end of the 2024 season, right? So what do you even do there? Because if you draft a quarterback next year, you are basically – telling Justin Fields, hey, that's it, you're done. But then his trade value is at an all-time low, and it's specifically because no one's going to want to cough up any sort of significant draft capital for him, knowing what he's put on tape so far in 23. And then on top of that, you have essentially a conundrum where let's say that you go ahead and you stick with Justin Fields, right? You decline the fifth-year option. You give him to a new coaching staff, and now this new coaching staff figures things out. Then you're in a situation where do you extend him or do you franchise him? And if you extend him, you know, he's making 40 to 50-something million dollars a year, right? And then you're in a situation where all of a sudden it's like, oh, crap, you basically have committed on a multi-year deal to a guy who really only – had one year of solid production, assuming he's the Bears starting quarterback in 24 with a new coaching staff. And then you're in a situation like the New York Giants have found themselves in with Daniel Jones, where, you know, you have a regime that didn't necessarily acquire him, that made it work with him, that then signed him to big money. And now let's just be honest, you know, Anyone who watched the Giants in 2022 and has watched the Giants this season knows that Daniel Jones is an issue and that that 2022 team was more of a product of Saquon Barkley plus a really good defense and a solid scheme that hid the co- the quarterback's deficiencies, which is why Daniel Jones is now making like $45 million a year. And you could argue that the Bears could decide to do the exact same with Justin Fields, which Again, if he only has one year of production and then goes into 25 and, you know, just really ends up kind of not living up to the expectations, then at that point you're like, all right, you're stuck with this. And it's going to be three to four years before the Bears can kind of blow it up and start all over again. Well, look, if things continue the way they are, Justin Fields does not have a future in Chicago if things continue the way they are. Not one, because his play doesn't merit um, I'm just being real clear. Like his play does not merit him being a guy that the bears could invest any more time into with, you know, the issues that he has shown on film this year so far, and just the lack of production in, entirely throughout his entire career as a passer. But also like if things continue where they they're trending, where this team is going to be. And, and by the way, the team, this team right now, as it stands right here, the bears are the worst team in football. Once again, 
Like, I, I don't think it's even close right now. Yes, the Broncos just got put put on blast with 70 points against them against the uh, Miami Dolphins. The Broncos are still favored to beat the Bears this upcoming weekend at home for the Bears. So the, the NFL clearly thinks that – Vegas clearly thinks that the Bears are the worst team in football right now. The Arizona Cardinals just beat the Dallas Cowboys, you know, in a game that nobody expected them to win. Um, the Texans, you know, have shown some fight this year. They, they've shown some progress. Uh, I, I can name off a, a bunch of other teams that you know have looked more impressive than the Bears. Like the Bears are a, a true dumpster fire right now. And so you're looking at a situation here with how the Panthers are looking right now. The Bears could have realistically the first and second overall pick in next year's draft. And if that's the case, there ain't no way that the Bears are passing up on Caleb Williams or Drake May um, if those guys are available to them, which they will be at that point in the draft next year. They ain't no way. All right. So I think Bears fans, they need to start realizing that we're looking at the last the, the last few starts of Justin Fields here as a Chicago, which it stinks because um, Justin Fields, I think we all were looking forward to him being the guy for the bears. And there was a lot of promise there when he first got here, but this thing has just devolved. It's gone off the rails. And at this point, it's almost to the point where the best thing for all sides really is just going to get a clean break and a fresh start for everybody involved. And I think that's probably the best case scenario for everyone here because we're probably looking at a regime. I don't know if Ryan Poles is going to get fired at the end of the season if things continue the way they are, but Ibrafus will certainly be gone. Getsy's going to be gone. This entire coaching staff is going to be gone. You know, you're going to have a new head coach in here. You're going to have a high draft pick or two. Like, it's going to be different here next year if things continue the way, the way they are. And I think it is because, look, as, as bad as Sunday was for the Bears, I'm not sure that was rock bottom for them because things could, as we've seen with this franchise, um, things could always get worse. And every time you say that things couldn't get worse, they somehow prove us wrong every single time. All right. But uh, to, to move on here, because we do have some more that we want to talk about today, let's get to some storylines um, for the Bears that maybe aren't so depressing, I guess. Uh, some positive um, news here, and that's updating us on some of the injuries. So obviously we know that the Bears have been banged up along the offensive line, uh, but there may be some good progress with uh, Tevin Jenkins. Uh, who's been on the injured reserve to start the season, and the Bears have certainly missed him at that left guard spot uh, to start the year. Um, but it sounds like we are getting some positive reports that he could be coming back ready to play soon. Now, timeline is going to be an issue here because the Bears, their next two games, they're playing the Broncos this weekend, and theoretically, Tevin could be taken off the injured reserve list because that would be the, the four weeks of the season that is a minimum for injured reserve. But after that, it's a quick turnaround with the Washington Commanders on Thursday Night Football after that. So, um, with Tevin, you know, it looking like he's going to be back on the football field soon, you said, you know, how do you think that kind of shakes up this offensive line? And, um, yeah, I mean, how do you think that, how do you see this situation kind of playing out with that? It seriously is one to monitor because, you know, when you put a guy on short term injured reserve, you are effectively saying, listen, he's out for a minimum of four games, right? And really, that four week window for the Bears ends this week against the Denver Broncos. So the next time that we could realistically even see Tevin Jenkins is going to be October 5th at Washington Commanders, which, again, is a Thursday night game. But you also want to be conscious of the fact that because it really is a quick turnaround and these guys are going to be practicing at walkthrough speed on that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, what's going to happen is it makes more sense for the Bears to play – 
and have Tevin Jenkins make his debut in week six, which is October 15th against the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, the offensive line you're looking at this is just completely banged up now. Your best hope is that you can figure out what the hell is going on at left tackle because Braxton Jones is out for another two to three weeks. So he's not coming back till week seven or eight at this point. Then you have... Cody White here, you can kick him back to center. And as long as Tevin Jenkins comes back and is healthy, then he should be your starting right guard. So you'll have about four-fifths of this offensive line ready to go. I mean, the Nate Davis situation, there's not just much you can do about it anyway. It kind of is what it is. But, you know, Tevin was the Bears' best offensive lineman last year, which, again, in my opinion, I mean, this may be a little bit nitpicky, but it's really not saying much for a guy who – Again, was a top considered to be a top twenty prospect in his class. Slipped all the way to the second round, and then has basically spent the first three seasons of his career missing multiple days and multiple weeks in practices and training camp, and then also missing multiple regular season games to the point where it's just like this guy is not going to get a second contract in Chicago at this point, and it's just because. This is a team that, again, it's hesitant to, you know, invest in some of these injury-prone players. And, you know, you speak about injury-prone, well, Jalen Johnson was on the Wednesday injury report, the first that dropped this week. And, again, you know, Jalen Johnson's been good, but it's also time to acknowledge that, you know, he has a hamstring injury, right? So Jalen's really a guy who, again, is in line for a contract extension, but you just don't know whether or not this regime is going to hand it out to him because he is not to me in the secondary like quarterbacks don't target Jalen Johnson very often because they do respect him and how he plays the game. But at the end of the day, he's still a tier or two below some of the top corners in the league for me. Yeah. I mean, Jalen Johnson, I mean, we talked about this quite a bit where look, he's not, is he a shutdown elite corner? no, but he's still a really dang solid corner, and he's a guy that does have a lot of strengths. Like, out of, out of the guys on defense that played on, on Sunday, um, there were a lot of guys that played because they put backups in and stuff. But, uh, like, Jalen Johnson was the best player on the defense for the Bears, and, like, he, he was the only guy bringing it, it felt like, for them on Sunday. So Jalen Johnson is legit good. Again, is he elite or anything? No, but it's tough to find elite cornerbacks in this league. But it's 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 hard to find quality corners in this league, I should say. So, I mean, Jalen Johnson, he's in that weird space where, you know, I think he's good enough to pay, but if you're good enough to pay, how much do you pay him? And, yeah, I mean, I mean injuries certainly don't help his case. He's, he's dealt with injuries throughout his entire career here in Chicago, which was kind of the book on him at Utah as well. Um but yeah, I mean, going back to Tevin Jenkins and, and kind of that situation, because speaking of injuries, you know, being a big part of your of your career, like Tevin Jenkins, it seems like there's always something going on with him and kind of bring the conversation back to Tevin. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he'll be a huge boost to this offensive line if and when he can get back healthy, because that kind of look, and I don't know how they're going to do this here because they could move Cody Whitehair back to center. Um it's also possible that the Bears, just because this regime just doesn't seem to like Tevin Jenkins, and I don't know why that seems to be the case, um, but it, it, it seems like this this regime has never really been buy, bought in on Tevin Jenkins as a player. 
um, for whatever reason it is. And this goes back to the first offseason where there was some weird stuff going on in training camp that year. Um, but I don't know. It's going to be weird how they work it out because I, I would expect Nate Davis to get back to the starting lineup at right guard because Carter, while he has played admirably for a seventh-round pick or whatever he was in uh, last year's draft, like there are definitely instances where it's like, okay, you need to get somebody who's an actual starter out there because he is he, he's not quite getting the job done that you want to see at that right guard spot, right? You know, you have Lucas Patrick who's, you know, been, you know, Lucas Patrick at center. It's the best way I can describe it. And Cody Whitehair has struggled at left guard, which is not a surprise. He's probably not best at guard at this stage of his career. You probably have to put him at center where he's not, you know, exposed in pass protection as much and can be more the help guy on double teams and stuff and um, can be the guy that's more the communication guy on the offensive line as opposed to somebody who has to lock guys up in uh, pass protection. That's just not his game anymore. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm – I'm excited to see Tevin Jenkins get back on the field because when he's on the field and he's healthy, like he's a legit asset to this offensive line. He's by far their most talented offensive lineman. Um, maybe next to a Darnell Wright, I guess, if you want to include Darnell Wright in that conversation, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, but Tevin, uh, he was their best offensive lineman last year by a pretty wide margin. He's an elite lo- run blocker in the NFL. Um, and you need that guy in your team because right now the, the run game hasn't been the same with him out. They're struggling in pass protection in the interior. You need him back in the lineup. And wherever he's at, whether it's left guard or right guard, whatever the combination is, you need to get that figured out because the interior has just been a complete mess this season. And hopefully him being back healthy, I don't think it's going to be for the Washington game. It's probably going to be after that when they have that 10-day window um, between the Thursday night game and their next Sunday game. Um, But, yeah, you got to get him back. Like, he's just – he's too important to this group. And – Again, like I said, like he's a legit stud when he's on the football field. It's just a matter of if he's on the football field for you is really the only question with uh, Tevin Jenkins at this point in time. Um, and some other injury news like Eddie Jackson, um, you know, you know, we're getting a little bit of an update on him. It sounds like he's progressing um, and could be good to go on Sunday. Um you know, that's, that's huge for the secondary because, I mean, Elijah Hicks has tried to fill in that void for Eddie Jackson. That's not working as, as of right now. I mean, that we knew that safety depth going into this year was going to be pretty bad for this team, and, and it's showing up so far, um, especially with the way that they're using these guys in the secondary as well, which is a we already talked about that earlier in the podcast. So that's another thing to keep note is Eddie Jackson's status for uh, his upcoming game. Um, but yeah, it's just bears. It's look, it's, it's an NFL season. Guys are going to get banged up. You just hope that these guys, as they get back healthy, can make a positive difference because they need, they need all their guys healthy because this team as it stands right now, if they have any of these key guys out for a long period of time, they just don't have a chance with, you know, the fact that there's too many holes in this roster still, and they're getting out coached every single game. It's just, it's just a matter of fact, uh, with this team right now. Um, but moving on here, because we could talk about how bad this team is all podcast long. We're already 35 minutes into this thing. Um, but, uh, let's take a look around the NFL league because it's, you know, we're almost a quarter into the season. There have been um, some interesting storylines and I guess the biggest storyline, you know, which in relation to the bears to the bears is the development of some of the young quarterbacks in the NFL. And let's go up North to green Bay where, 
Um, we have seen some positive development with Jordan Love, who's gotten off to a strong start. You know, he, he had a pretty interesting game on Sunday where he was awful for like the first three quarters and then pulled together a win, uh, come behind victory for the Green Bay Packers. They were down 17 to nothing against the Saints, and he kind of pulled that one out. Um, look, Packers fans are going to be ridiculous, and they're going to be like, oh, my God, we got the next Aaron Rodgers here. And it's like if you watch Jordan Love play, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he's probably going to be anything close to an Aaron Rodgers or anything like that. But he's clearly – clearly you can see that Green Bay, they know what they're doing. They know what they have. And Matt LaFleur, like his his genius as an offensive coordinator, as an offensive mind, has been really put on display the first three weeks of the season. He's doing a great job of making things extremely easy for Jordan Love, even with a lot of injuries that they've had on that roster to start the year. So the hard part about Jordan Love is he kind of has to live and he's lived the first essentially three years of his career in the shadows of Aaron Rodgers, right? And the bigger extension of that is Aaron Rodgers having to live in the shadows of Brett Favre and kind of just be in the background. But look, (coughs) sorry, you talk about what Jordan Love did on Sunday against the Saints. And this is not me saying he is an elite quarterback by any means. I certainly think compared to being a year one starter, he's a bit behind where Aaron Rodgers was in his first year starting in, I think, 2007 or 2008, right? It was whatever, one of the two. But the greater point here is overall this. It's like the Packers don't need, with the way that Matt LaFleur coaches, they don't need Jordan Love to be this elite quarterback because it's ultimately a team that does two things. Number one, they're well coached. Number two, because of some of the talent that they have on both sides of the ball, they eventually get it figured out, right? You have a couple of young receivers in Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed that Jordan Love has figured it out with. We haven't really seen Christian Watson with Jordan Love yet, which to be completely objective, I mean – I am excited to see that combination too because it is going to be a one-two punch to watch over the next few years. Now, you look at Green Bay, right? Sunday, that fourth quarter, it was very apparent that in that 17-0, when the Green Bay was down 17-0, they kind of just stuck with their game plan and said, hey, Jordan, we're going to give you the opportunity to go ahead and win this game. And that's exactly what they did. You know, you had Jordan Love, I think, threw for a touchdown and rushed for a touchdown too, which it honestly doesn't get any better than that. You know, there's instances where he keeps showing flashes of, hey, I'm going to eventually develop into this really good quarterback. Because why, again, they have a system in place and a plan that they are willing to stick to that's going to hide his deficiencies, but also make him look good enough to the point where you're playing a sense of complimentary football, right, with the offense and defense. Certain teams, you know, the ones that play their games along the shores of Lake Michigan, at least their home games along the shores of Lake Michigan, don't want to do that, which is why they've been stuck in mediocrity for so many damn years. But, again, that's a completely separate plan, right? So it's like Jordan Love is a guy where, you know, he doesn't come off as rude and standoffish as Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, I put my media hat on. He's someone that I genuinely look at, and I'm like, yeah, I'm excited to see him play each week because there is so much talent and potential there. He may never be Aaron Rodgers and never live up to Aaron's legacy in Green Bay, 
but he will undoubtedly. He's showing right now that he's on the right trajectory and can be the guy in Green Bay moving forward. Well, I tweeted this out there. Jordan Love, to me, he looks aggressively mediocre as a quarterback is the best way I can describe it. Now, he did. This is before he had that fourth quarter comeback where he did make a couple impressive throws, I felt like, in that game. I mean, there were also, like, classic, you know, Green Bay referees where, you know, they're gifting and they gifted them a touchdown drive with uh, two penalties that were, I don't know, I thought they were pretty questionable. Um and I mean that's just classic Lambeau Field, just referees being in the in their pocket, which is always happens with Green Bay, um, and that's never going to change. It seems like even with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre out of the building, um, but I mean, look, Jordan Love, like to me, a lot of it is a product of what Lafleur is doing right now. He's doing a great job um, um, of scheming things up for him and making things easy, and also helps that they have the best offensive line right now, or one of the best offensive lines in football that have kept him clean. You know, he's not had to really deal with a lot of pressure. And look, I mean, you can see it. when he's under pressure, like he really struggles so far this year when he's been pressured, and when he's been kept clean, he's looked pretty dang solid. So that's that's something that um, look, he's he's one of those players where. Um, he's getting the ball out. He looks comfortable in that offense. He's getting the ball out on time. Accuracy has been a huge issue for him. Like I think PFF has him graded with like the most inaccurate passes in the NFL to start this season. So look, I mean, there are a lot of pauses with love. I think he's gotten off to as good of a start as you could ask for, for green Bay this year, especially considering the circumstances of, you know, the guys have been in and out of the lineup, but I mean, to me, it's more of an example of just that Packers organization and that coaching staff knowing just they're just really good at coaching offensive ball and developing these guys in the offensive line and getting the most out of all their players that they have, you know, going into in their last game against the Saints where they didn't really have anybody out there. Aaron Jones was out. Christian Watson was out. Bakhtiari was out. Elton Jenkins was out, you know all these guys in and out of the lineup and they still are able to pull off a win like that with other guys and, and get offense going. Um, despite Jordan love, not having the best day to me, it speaks to just the strength of that coaching staff and that system that they have there. And it's, it's one example of what the bears don't have, you know, with their quarterback development over there, especially right now with Justin Fields, where, I mean, Justin Fields, look, he, he has, his own issues as a passer, but clearly, you know, that coaching staff in green Bay, they know how to maximize what they have. And that's been something that we've seen all year long with Jordan love. And uh, speaking of other quarterbacks that have developed so far, let's touch on, you know, a couple of the rookies and how they've done so far to start the year, you know, Bryce young, it's been a struggle for him in Carolina. He's been dealing with an injury. Uh, We don't have to get too far into him because I think Bryce young, he's kind of in a situation similar to fields where, the situation around him is really bad. Like the offensive line's really bad. The weapons, like they have the worst weapons in the NFL. Like Adam Thielen is like done at this point in his career. He's completely cooked. Like he cannot separate whatsoever at this point in his career. They have some young guys like Jonathan Mingo that they're trying to develop. You know, DJ charts there in a one-year deal, but he, he's kind of is what he is at this point in his career. So Bryce Young, he's going, he's taking his lump so far as a rookie. Anthony Richardson for Indianapolis, I thought, I think, you know, he's got to do a better job of protecting himself, but I think he's probably, 
in the second in the best situation for all these guys because Shane Steichen, the head coach for Indianapolis, he looks like he was a home run hire for for them. Like uh, he he is a really innovative offensive mind. Um, he's doing a really good job of utilizing Anthony Richardson in the run game. Um, and Anthony Richardson, to his credit as well, like you can see that he's clearly not the project that a lot of people thought he was. Like his processing is really good. He's getting the ball out quickly. Accuracy again. It's got to be something he's got to develop. But he's gotten off to a good start despite dealing with some injuries and concussions, and he's got to do a better job of protecting himself, like he said. But the real standout among these rookies so far has been the play of C.J. Stroud for the Texans. Um, C.J. Stroud, and what makes this interesting is that he was a Ohio State quarterback right after Justin Fields, right? So he was a guy that we can directly compare to in terms of you know comparing these guys and how they play. And the difference between the two and how they have performed so far at the NFL level and it's sad to say, but like CJ Stroud has shown more as a passer in three starts in the NFL than, than Justin Fields has in his entire career, it seems like, as a passer strictly, not as a runner or anything where Justin Fields, we know he's dynamic, he's an elite athlete. We get all that. But CJ Stroud, he's been the most impressive rookie, in my opinion. And he's gotten out to a really nice start for Houston and looks like he could turn things around for that organization sooner than later. You talk about C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, a couple of these young guys, and again, it's it's hard to sit here and remotely love anything that is around Bryce Young, especially on the offense. Like, yes, they've got some okay pieces, like Iquanu, the offensive tackle, but they don't have anything on offense that is, you know, incredibly game changing by any means, and then. You have, which that'll come within the next year or two for the Panthers, but you have, you know, in Houston. And again, Houston doesn't have a first-round pick next year, so they're going to have to get aggressive when it comes to adding a wide receiver. Maybe they'll go out and sign a Darnell Mooney or Chase Claypool because I don't anticipate both of those guys being back with the way that this season's going. But anyways, the side note is this is CJ Stroud has looked really damn good. And that is because the head coach in Houston, although a defensive-minded guy, hired Bobby Slowick as his offensive coordinator, who, again, who used to be like, one of Kyle Shanahan's right-hand guys in San Francisco. And really what that has done is helped develop and accelerate how good CJ Stroud really is playing. And then you talk about the Colts and Shane Steichen. I mean, Shane Steichen was without a doubt my favorite head coaching hire this past offseason. And you talk about a guy who got a hell of a lot out of the quarterbacks in the years that he was with the Chargers did so much with Jalen Hurts to the point where he was literally the perfect guy to go ahead and develop a dual threat quarterback like Anthony Richardson. If you've watched Anthony Richardson play, I mean, his starts, you know, he's a guy who, again, right, Anthony Richardson, kind of the way he started and played has been fun and entertaining to watch it. He's continuing to progress now and learn more about how do I use this kind of raw skill set that I had at the college level? How do I use that at the NFL level? Yeah. I mean, Richard saying that was always a key. The key for him was how does he translate his incredible physical gifts um, to the NFL with more experience and it's going to come with time. He just needs to stay healthy for him. I think that's the big 
thing for him because that, that offensive line for the Colts is playing better. Once again, they've regrouped um, um, after a couple of years where they've kind of been a little bit shaky. Um, and Steichen, like I said before, like he looks, he looks legit as a head coach hire. But again, CJ Stroud, like I mentioned before, he's been the most impressive guy. And what's imp- been impressive to me is that like the situation for him, it's not a great situation talent wise. Like that offensive line, they've had four of their five stars out um, over the past couple of weeks. They've been banged up on the offensive line. They don't have like any remarkable receivers. Like Nico Collins has been their wide receiver one. Like Tank Dell, the rookie uh, third round pick, has been their most productive receiver to start the year. Um, and I mean, that's kind of a shout out to Tank Dell because Tank Dell's been awesome so far. Um, he's a guy that I really liked in this draft, and uh, he's been playing really well for for the Texans so far. Um, but he, again, he's kind of like their number one de facto wide receiver. Like it's not like they have exceptional weapons or anything for the Texans and CJ Stroud is just dealing, man. Like he looks, he looks the part out of all these guys. He's the guy who looks the most, the part I think. And you can see like the anticipation he showed at Ohio state, the ability to play in structure, but also showing more of an ability to play out of structure as well and deal with, you know, bad protection and, and get the most out of, um, out of plays that don't really work. Like Stroud's been really impressive. He had his best game of the season uh, against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, and again, again, he just looks, he looks really solid getting the ball out on time, accurately, not taking a lot of sacks. Well, I mean, he's taking some sacks early on, but again, it's an offensive line issue, not necessarily a CJ Stroud issue. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'd say, these quarterbacks, I mean, it's going to be fun to see how these guys do for the rest of the season because, look, th- this next upcoming draft is going to be loaded in quarterback prospects. So these guys are going to have a lot to prove they want to, if they want to be the guys that are building that are that are building building boss for their teams moving forward here. Because certainly, it's going to be another gold mine quarterback draft uh, coming up here. All right, well, we're getting late on time here um, for this podcast episode, so I guess the last thing we'll do here. Uh, we did have some college football stuff we wanted to talk about, but I, I think it's maybe a little bit too late for that. So what we'll do, you say it is, uh, we'll wrap up by doing a quick prediction for this upcoming Bears game. So I'll go to you. Uh, what's your prediction for this one, and who's your X factor for uh, this game against the Broncos? You know, it's certainly a great question. I mean, my X factor is going to be Luke Getzey. You have a team that just lost by – 50 points right you have a team that just lost by 31 and so the reality for me kind of comes down to the bears are going through this weird three-game stretch here where they've got denver the minnesota vikings the commanders and then the raiders so it's really about a four-game stretch and you know there's people who say oh they could emerge out of this four and three all of a sudden but whatever that's beside the point right like i want to beat the good teams i'd want to beat all the good teams and also the really bad teams. I don't want the wins and the highlights of this season to be against all the bad teams. But listen, you know, I would say that as bad as the Broncos are, you have a head coach there who does not, who's very much like my way or the highway. You've got a quarterback who, again, has looked better than last year, but is not the Russell Wilson that we knew in his days in Seattle. So I'm going to say, you know, X factor for me is Luke Getze. I think if Getze can finally figure it out against a porous Broncos defense, the bears might actually be onto something here. Not that it's going to matter because it seems not making the playoffs, but I will say the bears end up winning like 21 to 17 in this one. And really what's going to be this incredibly ugly and boring game at soldier field. 
Yeah, for me, um, my prediction is one. You know, this is going to be one of those where it's 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 tough because you're looking at two of the worst teams in the NFL this year. The Broncos, they're interesting because, look, I mean, for the most part, the offense has actually been pretty solid for them. Like, it's not just, um, it's not like last year where you know everything was disaster for. Um, the Broncos and all in all faces, like the offense has been pretty solid. Russell Wilson does look like he's turned a bit of a corner under Sean Payton. And like you say, Sean Payton, like for all that has gone wrong for Denver this year, Sean Payton, he still has my respect as one of the five or so best coaches and offensive lines in the NFL right now. So, you know, they're own three. I don't see a scenario where Sean Payton lets his team fall to own four, especially after getting embarrassed against Miami. We talked about how the Bears haven't maybe quite hit rock bottom yet as a team. I think last week definitely was rock bottom for the Dol- for the I mean for the Broncos, I should say against the Dolphins. And I think they're going to bounce back this week and get a win. Um my X factor in this one for the Bears though is going to be Roshan Johnson. Um you know, I I've been waiting for him to have more of a breakout week where he goes off for about 100 yards and a touchdown or two. This week could be the one for him. I mean, you look at what the Dolphins did against the Broncos last week with 350 yards on the ground and like what, like five touchdowns on the ground as well. Just like absolute ridiculous rushing uh, production from them. So the Bears, they need to attack that. They need to, you know, pound the rock in this game if they want to come out of this game with a win here because I do think the Broncos are going to be able to score on this sorry-ass defense that the Bears have or supposedly have because they haven't been much of a defense this year so far. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, I just – I don't think – even with that said, I don't think it's going to be enough. Like, I think the Broncos' defense is going to play a little bit better than they did. I mean, they they, they should be playing a lot better because you give 70 points in an NFL game, like, that's just embarrassing stuff. So I would expect them to play a lot better than that. Um but ultimately, I don't see how this Bears defense stops this Broncos offense. Because, again, like I said, Russell Wilson clearly isn't the same guy like you mentioned. But he's been had, he's had a pretty solid bounce back year so far, I, should, I, I will say. So it's not like Russell Wilson's been a complete disaster for the Broncos. They are figuring some things out on that offense. So against, and against the Bears defense that can't pressure the quarterback and plays classic Tampa 2 where they're going to leave guys wide open all over the field – I have a feeling Sean Payne's going to out out coach Matt Eberflus in this one, and that you know they're going to outscore the Bears eventually. So my prediction is thirty to twenty four, Broncos coming to Soldier Field and get the win. And again, I, I said this earlier: the Broncos are favored in this game on the road, coming off a game where they gave up seventy points in an NFL football game. Like that tells you everything you know you need to know about how bad this Bears team is. Like. Not even the betting lines don't even give them enough respect to have them favored in their home building. It's a team that gave up 70 points last week. So, yeah, we'll see how this plays out. We're both going to be at the game. So, um, yay for us, I guess. That'll this will be interesting, I guess. It's 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 that it's that it's that gif where uh, you have uh, Alonzo Mourning on the bench where he's like, oh man, that's something. He's like, well, I, I guess it's I guess it's all right. We're going to a Bears game, I guess. So, uh, crazy stuff. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us here um, for the Picks for Polls podcast. To all, all of our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. Make sure to uh, like and rate our uh, podcast on Spotify um, here for the Bear Report. Make sure to follow us on social media. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, Picks for Polls, and you can follow the Bear Report on Twitter at 
uh, Bear Report. And also make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, where we're going to be posting clips and um, post-game reactions there um, as well. You said, where can our listeners find your work and follow you on social media? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on social media at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report website. Yeah, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFruman25. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well. Make sure to stay tuned. I got another edition of the Tracking for Trenches coming up for the uh, Bears-Chiefs game from this past week, which, uh, as you can imagine, is always fun to put together when they're always this bad in the trenches every week. But anyway, it's uh, another week, Bears fans. We're trying to get through it here for another lost season. But I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about after what's going to probably be a very eventful game on Sunday. So until next time, Bears fans, you guys have yourselves a very great weekend and bear down. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.